If you were with us last week, uh, you know, whether you were in Burlington or you were here in Belmont, we were talking about the same thing. If you were with us last week, we talked about this idea that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. We're going to continue this uh, for the next three weeks after this. And that idea that we're talking about, the concept that we're talking about, is the idea of hope. And we said last week that although hope is really important, all of us would agree it's important to keep hope. All of us would agree it's important to have hope. We said last week that even though all of us would agree that hope is important and hope is key, there is one thing about hope that leaves us in a challenging spot. And that is, when we hope for things, when we get our hopes up, inevitably, at some point, our hope leads us to disappointment. We put expectations on people or things, and eventually, those people or things let us down in some way. Nothing really lives up to what we want it to be in this world. But we also said last week, that there is a hope that we can have that does not disappoint. We we looked at what Paul says in the book of Romans, some of the verses that we just read together this morning, and we said that there is a hope that does not disappoint, and that is the hope. That is the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. Now some of you may think, even as I give that short recap, some of you may think to yourself, and maybe you thought it last week, you said to yourself, I love the idea I love the idea that there's a hope that doesn't disappoint. I love the idea that if I put my trust in Jesus Christ, that I won't be disappointed. I love that idea, but the reality of my life says something different. Not only the reality of my situation, but the reality of the people around me. Their situation says something different. In fact, I know a lot of people, I know people that have put their hope in Christ. They've put their faith in that place. They've taken all their trust and all their expectations. They've put them upon Jesus Christ. And yet they've still walked through some really terrible stuff. They put their hope where it wasn't supposed to disappoint. They put their trust where it wasn't supposed to disappoint. But at the end of the day, as I watch them, or maybe this happened to you. Maybe you tried this before. You put your trust in God. You put your hope in Christ. And disappointment followed. So the question that we're going to ask ourselves this morning, the question that's before us today, is what do we do with that reality? What do we do with the reality that supposedly, according to Paul, there is a hope that does not disappoint in Christ, but yet as we walk through this world and as we experience life, there are a lot of bad things that happen. How do we reconcile that in our minds? I remember a few years ago, there was a a woman that that used to attend our church in Burlington, and her name was Karen. And this was probably about six or seven years ago. Karen was diagnosed with cancer, and it was aggressive cancer. Karen, more than anyone else I think I've ever known facing an illness or a disease, believed wholeheartedly that God was going to heal her believed it, told anybody that would listen, I know, I already know that God is going to heal me. Her faith was off the charts in that regard. In fact, her faith was so strong that God was going to heal her that she even skipped some treatments along the way. And she said, it's God has told me, he is going to heal me. Well, the cancer 
aggressively continued. And unfortunately, a number of years ago now, Karen passed away. And the question is, what do we do with that? What do we do with the reality that some people do put their hope and trust completely and fully in Jesus Christ, and yet at the same time, disappointing things continue to happen? Trial happens. Suffering happens. You know this to be true, and I've seen it to be true as well. That these things continue to happen even after we have put our hope and our trust and our faith in Christ. Now, all of us experience disappointment, and all of us experience suffering, and all of us experience trial. I probably don't have to convince you too much of that. We experience it it, it corporately, and we experience it personally, and all of it works together. All of it works together so that at some point we end up asking God, God, how can this be true? How can it be true that you are a loving and a good and a caring God who gives us hope that does not disappoint, and yet I have to walk and we have to walk through all this stuff that happens in this world? I mean, corporately we experience it. Uh, We remember 9-11 like it, it was yesterday. Remember walking through that corporately together and the, and the difficulty and the suffering and the trial. And we still talk about it today. It was our safety that those events will remain an important part of this whole next process of electing a new president. We remember that. We suffered it together. Even now as we watch the pictures of this, the awful things that's happened to Bella Bond and her body just very callously and carelessly washing up on the shores of Deer Island. We suffer that together. And there's all sorts of things, whether it's the refugee crisis that's happening in the Middle East and Europe, or things closer to home, there are always these things that are happening in our world that cause us to walk through trial and walk through suffering together. But then there's those personal things. Those things that maybe everyone doesn't experience, but and we experience, and they affect us. My wife had an aunt, and her name uh, was Ruth. And Ruth was, was one of those aunts that was very special uh, to, to my wife and my brother-in-law and their cousins because Ruth didn't have kids of her own. And so her nieces and nephews became like her children. Maybe there's someone like that in your family. She didn't have children of her own. And so for, for all intents and purposes, her nieces and nephews were her children. And she poured all her love and all her energy into them. And Ruth had this amazing story of God's goodness. Some of you know the story, you've heard it before, but she had an amazing story of when she was in her teens, uh, she became uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol, and that lasted in her life for over 16 years. So from her teens until her 30s, she lived this, in this life of addiction. And there were points along the way, many, many points along the way, where God could have, that could have been it for her. Things that, car accidents, uh, motorcycle accidents, all sorts of things along the way through that life of addiction where that could have been the end for her. But God spared her through it all and brought her through it. And when she was in her 30s, radically brought her out of that addiction. She started a business, which now, 30 years later from her starting that business, still operates today. And she had this miraculous story of change and blessing and God working within her. And she was so special to us and became very special to me as I married into that family. And she treated us like we were her children. Took us on trips, did everything for us. And just a few years ago, Before she had an opportunity to meet our children, 
And if anyone would have loved our children, we have a, my wife and I, we have, a, we have a daughter and a son. If anyone would have loved our children, they have a lot of people that love them. Ruth would have loved them like crazy. And about five years ago, she went into the hospital just for a little nasal cavity procedure. Nothing big. And things got complicated, and she just never left. She was way too young. And it, didn't, it just didn't make sense that God had spared her. God had spared her through all of those things, all those times when she was living this crazy life of addiction, all those times that it could have ended then, that God would bring her through all that, allow her to have this, this great second chance at life, and then it would just end far too soon over something that seemed so simple and so small. And we all have stories like that. In fact, in fact you may be listening to me now and saying, you know, that's, that's a difficult story, but you should hear my story. You should hear the things I've had to walk through, the suffering I've endured, the trials I've endured. We all have those stories. Hardship, financial struggles, struggles in our marriages, struggles in our relationships, disease, all of those things. And all those things work together and cause us to ask this big question, the question that I want us to think about today. If hope in Jesus Christ doesn't disappoint, then why are there so many things that I experience even after I trust God that are disappointing? How can those be true at the exact same time? This is a big question. In fact, for some of us, for some of us in this room, this is the question. This is the one that has caused us, maybe inside your own heart and mind, this has caused you to walk away from God. This reality that there is a good and loving God, but suffering and evil still exist. This has caused you to leave the faith. And maybe you're here in body right now, but your heart and mind is somewhere else because this has already caused you to walk away. And for some of us, we're very close to this, or we know people. We know people who believed at one point or who would believe if they could just wrap their minds around the reality of this, that God is good, that hope in Christ doesn't disappoint, but bad things and evil things continue to happen. C.S. Lewis, he's the one that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia that they turned into movies a couple of years ago. C.S. Lewis is a famous Christian author and thinker. He writes that none is richer, none is richer than he who has peace of mind. And at the end of the day, isn't that all we really want? Don't we just want peace of mind? Don't we just want to be able to get through this world and get through a day maybe and not have to face all the junk that is in this world? Isn't it that we just want to get through a day where even if maybe the big things are going okay, the, the small things come in and those things really get under our skin. We realize that the, that the stupid sticker on the right side of our windshield is out of date and we got to get it done. Or we realize another bill comes in the mail and we've got to get that done. And all these little things add up and then there's the big things. And don't we just at the end of the day, wouldn't it be great to be able to get through the day and just have some sort of peace of mind? That's all we really want. This is a big question when it comes to faith. 
Now last week we talked about some verses in Romans chapter 5 that were written by a man named Paul. This morning we're going to look at the verses that come right before the verses we looked at last week. So we started in verse 5 last week. Today we're going to start in verse 1. And in these verses, Paul tells us exactly what we should do when it comes to our trial and our suffering. In fact, Paul gives us an answer to this question. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when we encounter trial and suffering? How are we supposed to handle it? So in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, this is what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Let me just stop there for one second. Paul says not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Paul says... Listen, when you come up to these things, the trials, the tribulations, the sufferings, whether they be big things or whether they be small things, here's what you should do. You should rejoice in those things. And all of us inside say that doesn't make any sense, Paul. That doesn't make any sense. We spend our entire lives trying to get rid of suffering, not to rejoice in suffering. Not to revel in suffering. Pretty much everything that we do as a culture and as a society, we are trying to move to a place. Whether you agree with where society is going or not, we are trying as a whole to move to a place where we reduce the amount of suffering in this world. That's what we're trying to get. We spend our whole lives trying to get rid of suffering. And Paul here says we should rejoice in it. But we want to get rid of it. This is why, this is why we invent things. This is not useless things like, like the pet rock or like Facebook, but like useful things, useful things. We invent useful, the, the car, the computer, the cell phone. I mean, anything that, that has helped us move forward, electricity, the fact that we can have air conditioning in this room, all of those things, we're trying to, to reduce suffering. It's why thousands of people, thousands of people will gather to walk for a cause and raise money for a cause. It's why the Jimmy Fund Telethon that's just a couple of days on the radio can raise over $3 million in just a couple of days. These are important things. We want to reduce suffering in our world. It's why we give to causes and sponsor children and do all of those sorts of things. Because our goal is to reduce suffering. But Paul here says we should rejoice in suffering. So the question is, why would Paul say that? Well, Paul says that our sufferings do something for us. Our sufferings do something for us. Our sufferings lead us into a process of of maturity, of becoming mature. And that process has three stages, Paul says. The first thing Paul says is we should rejoice in our suffering. And the first stage, the first reason we rejoice is because our suffering produces perseverance. Our suffering produces perseverance. Maybe you were with us last March, but last March we had a big fundraising dinner uh, to raise money to help us renovate this space and to get everything, everything up to code. Our guest speaker at that 
fundraising dinner was a man by the name of Scott Rigsby. And, and if you don't know who he is, you could, you could Google him or he was on the Today Show. He's all over the place. But Scott Rigsby really was a fascinating person. He became, a number of years ago, the first man to ever complete the Ironman Triathlon, who is a double amputee. So Scott lost both of his legs in an accident when he was a teenager. And he has two prosthetic legs. And he got this crazy idea that he was going to go from someone who had never done any physical activity, as he puts it, to running, being the first double amputee to complete the Ironman Triathlon. Now, the big Ironman Triathlon, if you, if you are unfamiliar with it, happens off in, on the islands in Hawaii. And it starts... It starts with a 2.3-mile swim through shark-infested ocean waters. And then after you're done with the swim, you hop on your bike, and through lava fields and temperatures reaching 100 degrees, you ride 112 miles on your bike. And then after you're done with the bike ride, you run a marathon, 262 Miles. Now, if you're like me, my sister has run marathons. I have a cousin that runs the, the marathons and runs a Boston, ran the Boston Marathon this year. I think they're kind of insane running 26.2 miles. That seems uh, crazy to me. I can't even fathom trying to swim 2.3 miles, bike 112 miles, and then run a marathon, especially, especially if I didn't have legs. And so Scott gets this idea, and he starts training, but he has no money and he has no experience. So when he does the swimming part, he just has to go all arms. He didn't have any, any sort of, of swimming legs available, so it was all arms for him for 2.3 miles. And then he hopped on a bike, a bike that he borrowed and didn't fit him, and he rode 112 miles. And to hear him tell the story, I'll spare you all the details, but he was hurting when he got done with that bike ride. And then he got on these limbs that weren't really made for running a marathon, but it was all that he had, and he started to run a marathon. And he told the story, and if you were there, you remember it, because how could you ever forget of having to stop and, and clean the blood out of his legs so he could continue running. I can't imagine going through that kind of suffering for the whole day, but it meant something big to him, and eventually it meant something big to a lot of people. So he finishes the race 17 minutes before they close the course for good. And something happened because Scott was willing to go through the whole thing and finish. The next time it was time for him to run that race, he already knew he could do it. He had developed perseverance. He had developed the ability to endure. The next time it came time for him to run an Ironman, he's done it a few times since. He knew he could do it. It was not as big of a deal. And he went in better equipped. He had better equipment the next time. He knew what he needed. And he went faster and he went better. And the same thing happens to us when we go through difficult times. If we are willing to push through, if we are willing to endure, if we are willing to walk through all the way to the other side, no matter how difficult and no matter how hard it is, the next time those sufferings come, we have developed perseverance. We are able to go into it with better tools and better abilities and a better skill level and know that we can get through it. And so Paul says to rejoice in your sufferings because sufferings produce within us the ability to endure. They produce within us perseverance. And the second thing he says is rejoice in your sufferings because your sufferings produce perseverance, but your sufferings also produce character. Character. 
character. In fact, the Greek word there could easily be translated, and some uh, translations have it this way, as proven character. Proven character. Perhaps nobody can talk about suffering and trial and be an authority on it more than Paul. If you're familiar with Paul's story, you know that because he was a Christian and because he was planting churches in the Roman world, he faced all sorts of trial and suffering. He was beaten to an inch of his life more than once. He spent a lot of time in Roman prisons. And I'm pretty sure there wasn't a lot of worry about prisoners' rights in the Romans' prisons. And he faced animals and gladiators in the arena, just like you see in the movies. He faced all of that. And you know what happened to Paul? Is every time he faced suffering and every time he faced trial, he came out of those things with greater resolve and greater boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something happens when we're willing to walk through suffering and endure it. And that is, is our character is shaped and molded. We become the people who we are most in the difficult times. In fact, I think if most of us look back at our lives and we look back at how God was at work in our lives, we don't like the suffering. We don't like the trial. We don't like the pain. But we would say God did his best work inside of us in the midst of that. That God's greatest work inside our lives, him making us into who we should be, him molding us and shaping us into the men and women he wanted us to be, happens most in the difficult time. So Paul says, rejoice in your sufferings. They produce perseverance. They produce proven, godly character. And that leads us finally, the third stage, which Paul says is hope. Hope. We've been bombarded with Donald Trump quotes lately. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, we won't talk about that here. But we have been bombarded with Donald Trump quotes. Let me give you a Donald Trump quote that's from a number of years ago. A number of years ago, Donald Trump, uh, in one of his books, is quoted as saying that life, life is what we do while we're waiting to die. That life is what we do while we're waiting to die. To me, that sounds fairly hopeless. To me, that sounds fairly meaningless. That all we do each and every day is we just get up and we keep ourselves busy. We just keep ourselves busy while we're waiting for the end. What Paul says to us here in these verses is that our hope is outside of this life. Our hope is outside of this place. Our hope is in a future with God in eternity. And so life isn't something that we do while we're waiting to die. Life on this earth is something that we do while we are waiting to live. Life is something that we do while we are waiting till we get to the point that we can live for eternity exactly the way that God intends. When I was in college, I went to a small school in, in northwest Iowa. You've probably never heard of it, that's okay. But I went to a small school in northwest Iowa. And boy, I would have loved to play on the basketball team, but God didn't bless me in that way. So I did the next best thing. I roomed with the basketball players. And I remember my senior year, uh, I had three roommates that were all on the basketball team. The, a new coach came in. A new coach came in, 
And he said, gentlemen, this is what we're going to do. This entire season, the offseason and while we're playing games, we are going to live with the end in sight. So every weight that you lift, every stair that you run, every free throw that you practice, every drill that we run, everything that we do, we are going to live with the end in sight. And for us, that end is the National Championship Trophy. And everything that we do, and he said it over and over and over again, put it up on every wall, in every locker room, in every weight room, everything that we do, every weight room, it's a small school, we had one, but he put it in the weight room. Everything that we do, we are going to live with the end in sight. And they did it. And wouldn't you know, at our level, at the end of the year, those guys won the national championship. And I think that Paul is saying the same thing to us. Don't just be busy and wait to die. Know that your hope is outside of this world. And that is the end. Heaven is the end. And live your life with the end in sight. So everything that you do, every relationship that you make, Every, every time you get up and go to work, every time you spend time with your family, no, live with the end in sight that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the next world. And this is what Paul says. Rejoice in your sufferings because sufferings produce endurance and endurance, godly, proven character and character, a hope that exists outside of this world, a hope that exists outside of this place, a reminder that God is the one. God is the one with whom we will spend eternity. And then he gives us this last little reminder that I think is so important for us to remember in the midst of our sufferings. In verse 5 he says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God's love, of course, is, is that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And His Holy Spirit, His Spirit, His presence, live with, lives with inside of us. And Paul says this. Don't forget. Rejoice in your sufferings, character, perseverance, character, character, hope. But don't forget that God has given you His Spirit. And He has given you His Son. And that means... That while you walk through the midst of trial, while you walk through pain, while you walk through suffering, God is with you and he is for you. That while you're in the middle of it, God is with you and he is for you. He has given you his spirit. He resides inside of you. No matter what you're walking through, he is with you. And he has given you his son. He has given you that gift of eternal life. And God is for you. He is with you and he is for you. So when you walk into your school or on campus and you are the only person that you know that could care less about who God is and who his son is and trying to live a life that honors him, when you are in that place, remember, God is with you and he is for you. And when you're facing death or disease or you're facing hard times or financial hardship, just know that no matter what you are facing, God is with you and he is for you. Pastor Saeed Abedini knows this. Some of you may know his story, but Pastor Saeed has been sitting in an Iranian prison since 2012. And he, unfortunately, looks like he's going to be sitting there for a while longer. 
Pastor Saeed is from Boise, Idaho, and he converted from Islam to Christianity in 2000, in the year 2000. And after he converted to Christianity, he would make frequent trips to Iran because he had a lot of family still in Iran. But he would also go, and they were working on an orphanage in Iran, him and some, some folks, and they would get together in, in one person's house when he was there, and they would get together for a very small worship service, and they would pray. Well, in 2012, Pastor Saeed was arrested as an enemy of the state for holding these small gatherings in someone's home. And so he had flown from Boise to Iran to be with family and work on this orphanage, and he was arrested and he was put in prison. And he was facing the death penalty, but he was sentenced to eight years in prison. While he's sitting in prison and his family is back in Boise, Idaho, Pastor Saeed is missing many things. But one of the things that he continues to miss are the birthdays of his children. And on his son Jacob's seventh birthday, his son actually sent an invitation to, Pastor, to his dad in Iran for his birthday party and asked his dad, you know, can you attend the party? And so Pastor Saeed wrote a letter back to his son. And if anyone's living in the midst of suffering and trial and unjust persecution, it's Pastor Saeed. This is what he wrote just a few months ago to his son. To my dear beloved son Jacob, I saw your beautiful birthday invitation that you made for me, and I know how much you want me to be there on your birthday. I love you so much. I long to be there for your birthday and to make this reunion happen, but my chains keep me from you. I want you to know that although I might not be there and you might feel my absence, there is one who always is. One who is always there with you and who can meet all your needs under any condition. I, may, I might not be there on your birthday and that breaks my heart as your father. But I know the one who is there on your birthday, who is there for you and who cares for you more than anyone could imagine. He is there with you and his name is I am who I am. I am who I am. It means that God is there with you in every situation that you are going through. This is the name that God introduced himself when meeting with Moses in the burning bush. When God's people were crying out to him and feeling his absence. Today there are many around the world who are experiencing the same things that the people of God were experiencing then and you are experiencing. They are crying out to God and might not feel his presence. They are wondering where God is in spite of all of this. But I want you to remember, no matter what you feel, God is with you. Even though I am not there with you, the I am is with you. God came in human flesh in Jesus Christ all the way from heaven to the earth to give us the gift of salvation by being crucified on the cross for the punishment of our sin. So on this special day, I want you to accept this gift of salvation. Invite Jesus into your heart, just as you have invited me to your birthday. So happy birthday to my big boy and my hero, Jacob Cyrus Abedini. Thank you for standing strong with me in this battle for the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your proud dad, Saeed. I'm going to invite our worship team to go ahead and come back to the stage as we close this morning.
one thing that Pastor Saeed knows is even though he's facing difficulty and even though he's facing trial and even though he's facing suffering, the same God that exists with him inside that Iranian prison, even today, is the same God that, that is with his family in Boise, Idaho. And the same God is with us when we experience difficulty and we experience suffering and we experience trial. The same God is with us. And because of his love for us, and because of his Son, and because of his Holy Spirit, even in the midst of trial and suffering, he is with us, and he is for us. I'd invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes, and just think with me about this for a moment. Maybe this question of the goodness of God and the reality of evil is something that has caused you to walk away from God. Maybe it's something that has caused you to reject God and Christ and this whole thing altogether. This morning I'd like you to consider the reality, consider the fact, consider the possibility that the evil things in this world, that the bad things in this life are not the result of what God is doing, but they're the result of what we have done and the ways that we have turned from Him. And that maybe this good and loving God who offers us hope, not in this world, but outside of it, is working all these things together for good according to his purposes. And it may not happen as quickly as we want it to. And it may not happen in our timeline, but that God is working these things together and he is walking with us through them and he is shaping us and molding us into the people that he desires us to be. And maybe we can rejoice in those sufferings because they produce within us a hope that is in Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you're in the middle of it. You're walking through suffering right now. You're walking through trial right now. In fact, with everybody's eyes are closed, everybody's heads bowed in this place, if that's you, would you just be willing to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. That's you. You would say, uh, you know, Pastor, I'm in the middle of it right now. I'm facing trial and suffering and persecution right now. A few of you. Would you be reminded this morning that God has not abandoned you, God has not left you, but God is with you in the midst of the trial and he is for you. Oh God, I pray for all of us. Lord, I pray that, that our hearts would not be hardened by the difficulties of, these world, of this world. But God, that we would remember that you are at work in spite of it all. That what this world intends for evil, that you are using it for good. And God, I pray for all of us that we would find our hope not in this world, not in the people or the things of this world, for those will only disappoint, but that we will find our hope in the place that does not disappoint, the hope that is outside of this world, the hope that comes in Christ. So that no matter what happens here, we would be reminded that you are with us and that you are for us and that real life doesn't happen in this world, it happens in the next. 
So God, continue to lead us, guide us, mold us, and shape us. Give us your strength. Give us your perseverance. Make us the people you want us to be. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.